Psalm 40. It's a two-part psalm uh, in its focus. Uh, first 10 verses is David expressing thanksgiving and praise to God for past deliverances. And then the final seven verses, uh, David focuses on his current situation that he is needing God to uh, move in on his behalf. And so I'm going to start by reading the first 10 verses. And uh, the title of this psalm, at least in the ESV, is My Help and My Deliverer. My Help and My Deliverer. Reading, starting at the first verse, it says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, our, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. I'll save the, the rest of that uh, for later on in the message. But in this psalm, this psalm is written at a time of great difficulty. In the next few verses, it, it gives details about this, but he is really going through a struggle. He is really going through assault. He is really being challenged in his faith and even his very life is at risk. He's in a high-stress, life-or-death situation in life. And so he does the right thing in coming to God. What I, one of the things I want to point out and I love about this psalm is that he does not, you, you would think that someone who's going through that, going through the hardest of times, if they spend time in prayer to God, they're going to lead with God. I want you to do something in this situation right now. But he doesn't do that. He spends the first 10 verses recounting, remembering, giving God praise and expressing thanksgiving for times past that God has been there for him and gotten him through. And it makes me wonder how many times when I felt inspired to go pray to God, 
that I want to get right to the meat of things. I have a need, and that's what I'm leading with. God, I need you to do something for me right now. I'm struggling, and, and I want this to end, and I'm needing you. The Bible says that you show yourself strong on the behalf of those who, who, who cry out to you, who need you. I need that right now, and I'm desperate. Because all I'm focusing on is the here and now. I'm not remembering that there were other desperate moments in my life. And God was there in every one of them. You know, how much, how much better, how much more effective would our prayer lives be if we made it a point whenever we approach God to spend time recounting his faithfulness? in goodness first. I'm telling you, there, there, there's power in thanksgiving. There's power in gratitude, especially unto the Lord. The benefit of doing that can change our entire perspective concerning our current situation. Notice he says in verse 1, he didn't say, I waited impatiently. For the Lord. I waited patiently for the Lord. To be patient is to endure discomfort without complaint. Uh oh, Pastor, you, you're treading on some, some, in some territory we don't want you to get into. Uh, it's good enough that I can wait. Now I gotta wait without complaint. But when he says he waited patiently, he's waiting. He's enduring what he's going through without complaint about having to go through it. Without complaint about, God, why have you done this to me? Without complaint that questions the character of God, feeling like he's abandoned me here. There is an internal knowing that, yeah, I'm in this situation, and I ain't got to be happy about it. And I'm going to take this to the Lord, but, but I know I'm not in this situation alone. God is with me. I waited patiently for the Lord. And here are some things, I underline some things uh, in these verses because it speaks to what he knows about the God he is addressing. He says of himself, I waited patiently. But here's what he says about God. He inclined to me. He inclined his ear to me. You know, the thing that comes to mind is, uh, you know, Christy and I, we started having kids. It's something about that mama's ear. There could be a hundred kids out there on the playground, but the mama knows her baby's cry. You know, when the kid is in distress, mama knows, no, 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 that's ours. How can you know? But they know their ear is inclined to their little one. Our God's ear is inclined to us in that way. Amen? One thing he knows about his God, he's waiting on the Lord. But while he's waiting, obviously he's praying. He's addressing God. And in his addressing of God, he's not wondering if God hears him. He knows that God's ear is inclined, is listening for the distress call of his son or of his daughter. He inclined to me and he heard my cry. 
Then he goes on talking about God. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog, and he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He's remembering. There's a time in his life where he was in the miry bog, in the pit of destruction. God heard him. God lifted him up out of that and put his feet on solid ground, on a rock, making his steps secure. Not only that, still speaking of God, he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise. That means he delivered him. He went from distress to deliverance, to victory, to, from, 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 from feeling down and out to praising God. I got a new song. Why is it a new song? Because there's a new chapter in my story. This is a new example of God hearing me, moving on my behalf, and delivering me from my plight. Amen? And so now, I have a new song to testify the goodness of God, his faithfulness to me. So he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. So here he is. And that's one of the reasons why we're doing testimonies uh, starting, in, uh, starting this morning. Because testimonies can have an effect. You know, in that testimony, you're saying you put your trust in God. No, nothing else was going to help you in that situation. The situation was beyond you. And you cried out to God. Putting your trust in him. And he may not have moved on your timetable. He may not have moved exactly the way that you wanted him to. But God was faithful to you and moved in exactly the way that was needed for you to grow in the way that you needed to grow in, in Christ-likeness, right? For, for, uh, for you to move forward in the things of God according to his will and plan for your life. See, God has a plan for your life. We see situations, we see uh, events, we experience challenges and all those things, and we think from event to event. But God knows the end from the beginning. He's got you on a path that he is going to help you complete. Right? And it's not just the accomplishing of some task, it's also the, the work of him that he has begun in you. He, he's going to make sure that that work gets complete because he's molding you into Christ-likeness. Amen? So everything that we encounter, it's not just about getting victory over the situation. There's also about the victory of the salvation of Christ that has been realized in us, right? Being more and more worked in and through us. Amen? Amen? So God is not just focused on giving us what we want. He's going to give us what he knows we need. And when God does something for you, never be ashamed. I don't care if it's one person, a hundred people, a hundred thousand people, never be ashamed to give testimony of what he's done for you. Amen. Because there may, be a, there may be a thousand people who will ridicule you and mock you for it, 
But if there's one person whose life can be affected and changed and transformed in a, uh, 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 and be transformed in the name of the Lord, then it's worth it, whatever you had to go through for that to happen. Amen? And God wants to use each and every one of us to make a difference in people's lives. And the result of his trust in the Lord and him giving testimony is that others will fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Amen? Wow. I love it. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. You know, we think blessed is a man with a fat bank account. Blessed is a man with a nice car. Blessed is a man with a big mansion of a house and so no blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust every good and and, and precious things comes from above it comes from God amen? amen all blessings flow from him blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust who does not turn to the proud to those who go astray after a lie and this is how good God has been to him you have multiplied your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. So all the things, he's recounting, Lord, there's just, it's so multitudinous, the, 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 the amount of things that you have done for me, these wondrous deeds, and not only your deeds, but your thoughts toward me. There have been times in my life where I thought God's thoughts towards me he was about done with me. That he was fed up with me, that considered me a lost cause. And that, that's the thoughts of someone who doesn't really know God, God's, doesn't really know God's heart towards us. Amen? Amen? And so, and we all know David had his issues. David did, he committed sins I've never committed. And yet he knew he knew God's character in a way that many never got to. Even the most religious people never, in the Old Testament, never got to know God's character the way God did, the way David did about God. You have multiplied your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I want you to personalize this song for yourselves. The things that David attributes to God. He's speaking about a God he knows. He's speaking uh, about that God's affections and, and that God's thoughts and, and that God's faithfulness to him. And he's not a respecter of persons. He's not just that way to David. He's that way to us all. Amen? And I'm sure he's multiplied his wondrous deeds and, and thoughts towards you as well. None can compare. And so, and, keep, and, and we'll, as we read on, we'll find out just how hard the times are for David in the moment that he wrote this. But as he recalls all those wonderful attributes of God and all those things that God has done for him throughout his life, it brings him to this point at the end of verse 5, where he says, I will proclaim and tell of them. Them what? The multitude of your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. I will proclaim and tell of them 
yet they are more than can be told. Now, he is distressed, yet he's recalled what God has done for him, and he's in a mode to tell God's goodness, even though it, it could be understood if he didn't feel God's goodness in the moment that he was in. Because he's in a rough moment. We're going to read here in a little bit. He's in a rough moment, but he's going to continue, even in that rough moment, to proclaim the goodness of God. Verse 6, in sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you have not required. Then I said, behold, I have come in the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O oh my God, your laws within my heart. So uh, this could be confusing because we're in the Old Testament time here and he says, in sacrifice and offering you have not delighted. Well, the law required the sacrifice and the offering. And there was a reason for doing that. But he says, but you have given me an open ear. You have given me insight. You've given me an ability to understand the why behind those sacrifices and so forth. You don't delight in those you don't delight in those things. If I were to, sometimes, and the book of Malachi is an example of this, sometimes we get, we get to the point to where we're just engaging in religious ceremony. Our heart isn't in it. There's no life there. You know, the offering in and of themselves is not what God delights in. What matters is the heart in which they are done. Right? That's why when you look at Cain and Abel, God accepted one offering and God didn't accept the other. One came in a different heart than the other one came in. And you can have people uh, go with pomp and circumstance and ceremony and, and, and think that we're engaging in righteousness as we do these things. No, 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 no. No. It's not the sacrifice and offering that he delighted in, but you've given me an open ear. You've given me uh, an insight. I've come to know you, Lord, and I've come to know your heart and your character. And now I know that it's deeper than just the burnt offerings and the sacrifice. You want a heart that trusts you, a heart that obeys you, a heart that loves you. Burnt offering and sin offerings you have not required. Behold, I have come in the book, in the scroll of the book that is written of me. I delight. This is what I delight to do your will, O oh my God. The law is within my heart. You know, you want us to delight in doing your will, not just half, haphazardly do it, half-heartedly do it out of some duty or some kind of obligation, but we delight to do your will, O oh God. So 
If you tell us to take communion in remembrance of you, I'm going to delight in it. If you tell us to obey your word, I'm going to delight in the obeying of your word because I know the obeying of your word is, is, is showing love to you and it pleases your heart. And finishing out those, those first 10 verses with 9 and 10, I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips as you know, O Lord. You know, he had a whole lot of testimonies of God's goodness. He didn't keep them to himself. He didn't just tell it to the occasional friend. He said, I've told it in the great congregation. Right? Um, well, we're in a holiday season now. We're going to Christmas shopping, be in full swing. Black Friday is going to be here before you know it. And Cyber Monday is going to be here uh, before you know it. And boy, I can't tell you how many times when someone finds a smoking hot deal. Well, we can't, we can't tell enough people about it. Man, I found those golf clubs and they were 50% off. These were the cons I've been wanting for so long or whatever. <laughs> From pastor's mouth to God's ears, right, Johnny? So, you know, you get a new car. Oh, man, got my new car and everything. It's, it's the exactly year, color, model, everything that I wanted and everything. We tell of those things because we're excited about them. And we want people to know. Find a, good, find a restaurant that serves a great steak. I'm telling everybody I know about it. Or oh, some great barbecue, Burn Company. I'm telling you, if you haven't been there, you're missing out. We got to go there again, guys. Burn Company barbecue is uh, is something special, and they don't. I'm not a, a, a spokesperson. I'm just telling you, I like what I like. That stuff is amazing. <laughs> Uh, but why shouldn't it be the same when it comes to the good news about the salvation of the Lord? That we can't even contain ourselves. It's like that, you know, it, it, it's like that once in a lifetime deal that we found that we want everybody to know. It's like that item that we've been yearning for for 10 years. We finally got it, you know, or we finally reached that point in our professional career. We've accomplished something we just want it to be known. We want, we'll, we'll yell it from the hilltops and so forth. And yet the salvation that once awed us, that once, you know, that once filled us with joy, it begins to ebb and we begin to make calculated moves and so forth, right? We, we're not necessarily as excited about that good news and sharing that good news as we once were. And, and I tell you what, God wants to challenge us in that way right now, Right? that we remember from which we came, that we remember what he saved us out of, that we remember what he's done for us, and that the excitement of that wells up within us and, and it motivates and moves us to share the good news of his salvation with any and everyone we have the opportunity to. I have told the good news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips as you know, O Lord, I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. Tell you what, you don't have to be a preacher 
to be effective in the ministry of the gospel, his faithfulness and his salvation. That'll preach to anyone, anywhere. Faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. Now, Brittany shared in her testimony uh, earlier that, you know, the, her internal monologue, how she was processing through things. And, and there does come a point in life where the affirmation of your parents and people who love you, you feel, you know, it, it's hard for that to really hit home like it should because you're like, well, they're obligated to. They love me, right? They're, they're supposed to say that. But is it real? And she asked God, send me someone outside of that support system uh, to serve as encouragement there. And, you know, sometimes uh, th those kind of challenges are real when you're waiting on the Lord. When she asked God to do that, there's a period of time of waiting on the Lord. God, show me the way. God, bring me this. God, do this for me. And there is a, there's a period of waiting, and sometimes it is hard, and waiting demands patience, right? He said, he started this Psalm 40 off with saying, I waited patiently on the Lord, waited without complaint. It's easy for me to wait patiently when I have zero doubt that what I'm waiting on is going to arrive when I have zero doubt that what I'm waiting on is going to happen, right? The waiting is easier to do, right? Which is why we got to put ourselves in the remembrance of what God has already done and how many times he's come through. Like the song says, you've never failed me yet. I never will forget. I need to remind myself that you've never failed me so that I have the ability to wait patiently in the here and now. Otherwise, I will be tempted. And all of us, all of us have to fight the struggle, have to fight the challenge within us to want to control our circumstance. We want to feel like we've got some kind of control. We've got choice. We've got decisions and this or that and the other. Um, and so the temptation to do that can move us to action that we shouldn't take because we're not certain that waiting is going to produce the desired outcome, right? How do we know Isaac is going to come? Maybe we're supposed to help God. Maybe you should go into my servant girl over here, and, and maybe that's what God meant, and then you're producing Ishmael. Right? And God is like, mm, why did they do that? Well, they waited about 10 years, and they decided after waiting for that long, they got impatient. And in their impatience, they acted, not in accordance to God's will. They acted, right? They, they figured, let's exercise the control. Let's do something. Let's help God out here. Maybe he's been waiting for us to do something. How many of us have created Ishmael's for our, due to our impatience. Due to, due to the lack of the discipline of being able to wait patiently with, on the Lord, endure without complaint, with full confidence that God 
will move. Of that, there is no doubt. So I just don't know how long it's going to take for him to move, but one thing there is no doubt in my mind about is that he will move. He will show up. He will move. And the certainty of that enables me to wait patiently, like Jesus in the boat when the disciples are freaking out. He said, let's go to the other side. You know what there was no doubt in Jesus' mind about? That they were going to make it to the other side. <laughs> so the storm roiled out about. The boat is rocking and everything. They're thinking they're going to die. And Jesus is waiting patiently to get to the other side. <laughs> right? And that's how our life is a lot of times. A lot is roiling on around us. And we feel like the house is going to burn down. We feel like the ship is going to sink. We, you know, we feel like we're about to, uh, our life is about to crash because we don't have the control that we would like to have and there's too much uncertainty and, and we've been asking God to move, but we're not certain. That's the importance of not jumping into your prayers about God, I need, I know you hear me, I, 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 I need you to move, I need you to do this, I need you to do that. We need to take a step back in order for us to approach him properly, in order for us to approach him with humility, in order for us to approach him in truth, we need to rewind the tape and remind ourselves how many times have we been here before? And was there ever a time that he didn't meet us in those hard places and move on our behalf? Was there ever a time he wasn't faithful to us? You know, um, it, waiting just always demands patience. Waiting in line demands patience. Parents might appreciate this. Waiting for a teenager to mature can require an extraordinary amount of patience. And it can be a challenging time, but you know, they will mature. The line will move. You will get your Starbucks. You know, it's not going to last forever, right? We can be patient or, you know, if we are unable to be patient in those situations, then God, thank God, he's revealing to us an area that we need some work in. But... <clears throat> In every Christian's life, there comes a time when we must wait upon God for something. A need to be met, a job, something that we've desired for a long time and seems to be eluding us, finding a spouse. When, Lord? How long, Lord? Where are they at, Lord? Conceiving a child. 
in those cases. It's not always clear. Should we wait? Should we act? Should we wait longer and keep trying? God's going to give us a child. Should we seek some type of medical options to, to help us along the way? Would that be a lack of faith, you know, to even consider that? Should we adopt? Would that be quitting uh, too early? Would that be a, a lack of uh, a faith? Um, but going back to the spouse, people can be second-guessing themselves. Have I taken the right steps socially? Have I associated with the right groups? Is the reason why it has, I haven't seen traction there? Have I made some mistakes here or there? Should I change course? Maybe I should do something differently than what I've all already done. These are hard questions. And uh, context and nuance are important. The same choice could be right for one and wrong for another, depending on the situation and how God chooses to move in your lives. So rather than trying to give you the answer one way or the another, you know, uh, my, my question would be more in line of where is your heart at? And, 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 and how are you availing yourself to God so that God can direct you in your life so that you can know whether you should wait or whether you should move? Either way, you don't want to be emotionally driving your decisions. You want to be able to exercise some patience and, and navigate those waters as much as possible as you are directed by the Lord. But if you find yourself in either one of those situations, long job search, nothing's popped up, what should I do, Lord? No spouse on the horizon, no prospects on the horizon, what do I do, Lord? Should I just keep operating as normal and waiting, or is there something different I need to be doing? You know, we're childless, Lord. It's been X amount of years, and, um, you know, the... The stress, the hurt, the pain, it's, it's hard to deal with. Um, should we do something different? What would you have us do? Sadly, I can't answer those questions for you. I can just say, I know who you need to lean on and I know who has those answers for you. Excuse me. You know, I said earlier about sacrifices, the verses six to eight, where it talked about you did not desire sacrifice, but but obedience, right? And it brought to mind. You can put it up there. I'm not going to uh, read it, but Second uh, Samuel 15. Y'all remember. When King Saul had won a victory, 
and he had been given clear instructions, right, to wipe everything out, not just uh, combatants, but, you know, not to take any of the spoil. And what does he do? He and the people take of the spoil. Now, this was the second sin that he had because he was told uh, earlier not to engage in battle until after Samuel arrived and, uh, and they made offerings unto the Lord. But they saw the enemy. They got scared. Some guys started running and fleeing for their lives. And, and Samuel was a little bit late. And what did King Saul do? He panicked and he did the offering. Thinking, he said, and he, his answer to, Saul, to Samuel was, well, you, you weren't here yet. And look at that army. And my guys were fleeing from me. So I forced myself to give the offering because I couldn't go into battle. It seemed like it was about to go down at any minute and I couldn't go into battle without the favor of the Lord. As though the favor of the Lord was strictly in the making of an offering. How many of you know the offering meant nothing if it was done in disobedience? The favor of the Lord is in pleasing him, trusting him, obeying him. That's where the favor is. And if he stood there and he hadn't had a chance to make the offering yet, the Philistines made a move, he's standing there in obedience to God, guess what's on him in that situation, even though it's unexpected? The favor of God. Or you can trust, you know what? God told us to wait and make this offering before the, before the battle. So God's going to stay the enemy's hand. They're not attacking. I'm waiting on God. And it reminds me what I will have us read is Hebrews 10, verses 5 to 10, which says, Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Dave, Dave, what David experienced was a foreshadowing of what would be perfect, perfectly completed in Christ Jesus. Through Christ Jesus, his obedience, full obedience to the Father, his sacrifice gives us the gift of salvation in his name. Amen? And so when you find yourself in those moments of indecision, not really knowing what to do, if you find yourself in that King Saul moment, one thing you must absolutely do, and this won't be the first time you've heard me say that, do not forget what God has already commanded you to do. You stand on that. 
Stand on what you know. Stand in that truth. Stay obedient to that truth. Even though you see a new threat on the horizon, and that threat on the horizon uh, could really cause some problems for you, don't justify you moving into disobedience. Don't use that to justify you moving into disobedience to what God has said. Just like Saul should have waited on Samuel, trusted that God was going to protect them from the enemy's whims, and not offer that uh, sacrifice out of fear and disobedience, we need to make sure to learn that lesson from him. Let's not let fear rob us of the favor of God. Let's not let fear rob us of our ability to trust God even in those most difficult of circumstances. Because uh, that's where the amazing testimony is. That's where the amazingness of our God to do over and abundantly above all that we could ask or think becomes possible. Amen? It, it didn't make sense to walk on water. How many of us would even dare try that? That's what I thought. You know? And Peter gets a lot of uh, criticism, but think about the level of trust that if you say, come to me, I'll do it. That quality is one of the reasons I believe the Lord called him as a disciple. I'm sure God's giving you qualities that he wants to bring to full maturation in your life as well. So uh, let's finish out real quick. Uh, verse 11, now he brings his attention. Now he spends 10 verses talking about the greatness and goodness of God and what he's done for him. And now he starts talking about his current circumstance. As for you, O Lord, well, not quite yet. He's still one more verse where he's going to give God more glory. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Think about it. This is what he knows. He's stating what he knows about God. Your mercy you will not restrain from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. I'm telling you, personalize these for yourselves. It will preserve me. Here we go. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. And look at the transparency that he has before God here. He first talks about the external evils. There are people who have evil intent about me, and there is a lot of it. But he's also honest about his own issues. My iniquities have overtaken me. Some of what I am facing is the chickens coming home to roost of my own iniquities. Right? They've overtaken me. I cannot see. That gives me the picture of me, you know, uh, he's saying, I'm, I'm drowning in the sea. of these evils and iniquities. I'm drowning. I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I'm under the surface of it. I can't even see. 
I don't know which way is up, which way is down. I, I, I don't know. I can't even see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. He's not talking about he's got a heart attack or anything, but he's like, Lord, I'm overwhelmed by this. All that's going on in my life right now, I'm overwhelmed by this. And I know not all of it, I can push blame on somebody else. Some of this is on me. But it doesn't change the fact that I'm overwhelmed by this. I'm drowning in it. Be pleased, O oh Lord, to deliver me. <laughs> Praise God. O oh Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointment altogether who seek to snatch away my life. So there are people who want his life. This is serious. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Those are those who take pleasure in whatever harms or hurts me. So I got people that want me dead. I got people that take pleasure in my hurt and harm. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, aha, aha, we got him now. But may all who seek you, I love how he ends this, but may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, say continually. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. Right? Those of us who love, do you love God's salvation in here? Amen. Right? Let those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. Let that continually reverberate from our lips, uh, from hearts that are sincerely grateful for who the Lord is and what he's done for us. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not, oh, do not delay, oh my God. And so I want to focus on just verse 17, one phrase in that verse to kind of leave you with this thought. Because he says, as for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. I am downtrodden. I'm poor. I'm needy. I'm a hot mess. You know, and there are occasionally people you see on the, on the street that have a sign that they are, you know, life has gotten, um, has devolved for them to the point that they are needing to depend on the kindness of strangers to help them to get a next meal, to help them be able to get a hotel room or take a shower or whatever. They, they, they're out there on the streets. You know, and sometimes you just pretend not to see them. You keep driving. I got somewhere to go. I don't have time or this, that, and the other. And but, you know, isn't it, isn't it wonderful to know that we have a God that does not do that to us? He's not going to see us out there in dire straits and, yeah, I just pray that 
that they get what they need, but uh, I got somewhere to go. He says, the Lord takes thought for me. The Lord considers me. The Lord can't pass me up. The Lord, I'm on his mind. He cares for me. My circumstance is that I am poor and needy, but that's not going to define God to me. My circumstance is this, but here is what I know about God. That is so good. The Lord takes thought for you. Your circumstance may suggest otherwise, but circumstances like emotions fly. What's real, what's true, is that God loves you. God takes thought for you. He's inclined his ear to you. And he's, and he, and then he, then he finishes it up with, you are my help and my deliverer. I'm not delivered yet. I, I, I'm not helped yet. That may not be, I, I've not been helped in this situation. I've not been delivered in this situation. But I know that my God is my help and my deliverer. I've been here before. So maybe you're in that situation where you don't feel helped, you don't feel delivered. Let me encourage you that your God is your help and your deliverer. And your help and your deliverance may not have manifested yet, but it's happening. Amen? Be assured of that. Right? Let that be a conviction so that you can wait patiently for it and not stress out and freak out and be tempted to take control and do something that's not God-honoring and that isn't going to produce fruit or benefit your life in any significant way. In fact, it might do the opposite. Does that make sense? And even if uh, I will close, I will close by saying this. If there's a reason I highlighted his transparency, not just focusing on the evils that were on the outside of him, but also his iniquities. He's drowning in the combination of his evils and the iniquities and his own iniquities. Right? Because how many times when we've screwed up, we somehow convince ourselves that, or we project onto God our feelings, right? That we, we, we're dumping on ourselves, we're condemning ourselves. We would be done with somebody who did this to us and so forth. So when we, especially if it's a sin that we've repeatedly done, right, it's easy to attribute to God certain human traits of, in, of impatience, uh, inconsiderate, unmerciful, unloving. And we attribute that to God and we... And we feel like that's how he views us, but that's not how he views us. And he remembered that. He, the same guy who talked about his own iniquities being abundant iniquities. He's saying, 
you incline your ear to me. So you may have iniquities. And those iniquities are going to have to be overcome. They're going to have to be dealt with. God is going to do a work in you to help you overcome those things, right? He who has begun a good work in you is faithful to complete it, and he's going to convict you where you need to be convicted. He's going to allow the circumstances of your life to occur in such a way to test and to put trials in your life to produce these godly qualities that need to be produced in your life. Not everything you don't like is by the devil or by other people. God allows things to happen in your life because he's doing a work. And a lot of the stuff we're not going to like, but it's going to produce something godly in us. It's going to produce Christ-like character in us. It's going to produce maturity in us that is needful for us to endure till the end. Amen? And so... Your iniquities, they do demand your attention and they, you do need to take them to the Lord and you need to be serious about addressing those things, but do not let the iniquities cause you to believe a lie about God. He's for you. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so make sure you do business with God and do it sincerely. But don't adopt any lies or any thought processes that would undermine your ability to trust God. And walk in faithful obedience to him. Don't let anything lie to you about the character of God. Amen? Because he loves you. That's why he sent his son for you. That's why Jesus died for you. He loves you. You were a sinner when he died for you. Surely now that you belong to him, he won't abandon you because of an iniquity. Amen? I'm going to ask you all to stand. So, I said at the beginning of the message that there is power in thanksgiving. You know, there, 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 there's, there's so many benefits in just adopting the discipline of being thankful, of always reminding yourself of reasons to be thankful to the Lord. Doing that will prevent you from misremembering or mislabeling the history of your life. Those moments when you felt like, man, I was doing it alone. God was far from me. <laughs> that's, that's not true. Particularly if you knew the Lord in that moment. It's not true. God really left me to my own devices and abandoned me. It's not true. It's how you remember it, but there's some gaps in your memory. 
And it's time to just begin that, just start a process of going back over your life from the, for as far back as you can remember and ask God to help you if you need help to recall every phase of life that you've gone through, every age, every grade, whatever. And especially in those moments that have been etched in your memory and on your, and on your heart, either ask him, God, I know by your word that you were there. Reveal yourself to me in those moments. Help me to see you in truth in those moments. Whatever lies I remember, Lord, I want those lies to be replaced with truth because I want to be able to look back on it with thanksgiving and praise so that I can use what you did in those moments to help me in the here and now. God is good. Hallelujah. Father God, hallelujah. I just lift up this congregation to you, Lord, those here and those who are watching online, Lord, I just lift them all up to you. And, and, and those who, who connect with this message, those who can relate to this song by David, Psalm 40, Father God, who find themselves in those crucible moments where there's temptation to act out of fear and desperation because there's uncertainty that scares the heck out of us. I pray for your grace, Father God, that you would bring them into remembrance, help them be reminded of your goodness and your faithfulness to them throughout their lives. Even before they knew you had marked them, before they came to you in faith, you've been there. They didn't come to you by happenstance. They didn't come to you just on the strength of their own decision. They were, you were working on them before they came to you, Lord, and you drew them unto yourself. Because your word said it is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. So, Lord, I don't know how you're working in each and every life and, and how much each person is going through is necessary according to your perfect will and plan for their lives. But I do understand the need to be able to wait patiently on the Lord in that circumstance and how important it is to remember that you've come through before to help encourage them that you'll do the same in the here and now. And I pray that you would do that. Father God, connect the dots in each of our minds, Father God, so that we can engage you in spirit and in truth right now. And, and we, uh, until you move in your perfect timing and give us a new song, God has done it again. In my current situation, God has done it again. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Hallelujah. And so we just thank you for it.
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.